Hi, I'm Mark Persing, and I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Heart Podcast. I'm a campus minister here in the Big Apple with the New York City Church of Christ, and I love exploring the teachings of Jesus. In this podcast, we're focused on answering two questions. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come on earth? And what does it look like to have a heart invested in the kingdom of God? With all that said, let's dive into this week's episode. All right, welcome to episode one of the Kingdom Heart podcast. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Steve Kennard, um, who's also a great friend of mine, and I've had the opportunity to learn from him over the years with our ministry training program here in New York. Um, but Steve has served in the New York City Church of Christ as an evangelist and a teacher for 37 years. He has preached and taught the Bible on every continent. He received his undergraduate degree at Freed Hardman College and his Master of Divinity with Languages degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. He then completed his Doctor of Ministry degree from Drew University, which is my hometown, Madison, New Jersey. Um, and Steve also serves as an adjunct professor of Bible at Lincoln Christian University and professor of biblical studies at the Rocky Mountain School of Ministry and Theology, which is in Denver. Steve is also the author of many books, uh, including his latest release, which is a great read, uh, Jesus in the Poor, uh, which helped my wife and I a lot. And Steve also serves as the editor of the Telios, of Telios, a journal of Christian holistic spirituality, which they just put on an amazing conference entitled Let Justice Roll, uh, which was incredible to be a part of. Uh, but Steve, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Well, great to be with you, Mark. I'm happy that you are doing this. I think it's exciting. Well, thank you again. And um, I'm excited to have you. I think it's going to be a great uh, just learning opportunity for me, but also for those who are listening right now. And so just to kind of mix it up, what we'll do here uh, is we'll play a little fun get to know you game. Um, you know, obviously people know that you're an incredible author and teacher, uh, but we'll ask some questions here that maybe aren't so spiritual <laughs> um, <laughs> for them to get to know you better. But uh, so we'll kind of do it rapid fire, uh, but, but no pressure. Um, Let's do so it. you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Favorite superhero. Wow. Favorite superhero. Um, a little known one by most people, but Adam Warlock. Okay. All right. Favorite <laughs> food. Uh, I like Middle Eastern food. So mm. anything within that category of um, Lebanon, mm. um, especially the Lebanese food is amazing. I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> are you a morning or night person? Well, I've been a night person most of my life, but I find as I get older, I'm starting to wake up with the sun mm. and needing to go to bed earlier. And I don't know if you know it, Mark, but studies show that that happens as you age, you mm. begin to become more of a morning person. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going through that transition in life right now. 
Interesting. Yeah. For all for all the young people listening that are uh, definitely not morning people yet, let's uh, you have that to look forward to. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Next one, uh, favorite songwriter. <clears throat> oh wow, that is so difficult. I have so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I am drawn toward Warren Zevon. Okay. Singer, songwriter, acoustic guitar player, plays piano as well. Um, I, and but I also love uh, Bob Dylan and I love uh, Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. So kind of that. Um, well, but Dylan was more folksy at the beginning, but the California West Coast acoustic sound. Gotcha. Yeah, that's some really good music right there. Love Dylan. Yeah. Um, here's a here's an interesting one. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Oh, that's easy. A lion. Mm. The righteous are as bold as a lion. There you go. It's kind of my mantra in life. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Last one here. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, living or or dead, who would it be? Well, I guess we exclude Jesus and the apostles or they count or. Hey, that that could be your answer if you want. I mean, let me exclude that. That's that's just too easy. Right. To go there, you know. Yeah. And so trading lives is difficult um, because I don't I don't think I am up to. I'm thinking uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta because mm. I adore her. Mm. Um, but I don't think I'm up to living life the way she lived it. And mm. so just to be in her presence for a day, to be around her for a day would, um, and I got to meet her once, which was overwhelming. In wow. itself. I can't imagine spending the day with her and just going through the schedule she kept, um, mm. especially as she was walking the streets of Calcutta, taking care of the poorest of the poor seeing Jesus in the eyes of the poor. Um, again, I can't I don't think I'm yeah. built to do that, but um, I would love to uh, be in the presence of that. Yeah. Mm, great answer. Well, this is awesome. And I hope that uh, allowed our listeners to get to know you a little better there. Um, and, you know, knowing Steve, Steve has an incredible taste in music, which he's passed down to his family. And uh, we uh, also, we have similar tastes, which is cool. Um, But uh, today's topic, getting into it here, we're talking about this question of what is the kingdom of God? And we see this theme of God's kingdom clearly from Genesis to Revelation. It's all over the Bible. Um, And so today we're going to talk about why is this so important for us as Christians to understand and how should this have an effect in our lives? And so Obviously, this podcast is about living lives and learning how to live lives that are more invested and centered around uh, the priority of Jesus's kingdom. And um, if you didn't know, Steve just came out with a uh, his own translation of the New Testament that he's been working on for years, and it's called the King Jesus Translation. Um, really encourage you uh, to get it it's on. IPI. And if you read his translation, um, and he'll probably get into this later, but you'll notice his emphasis on King Jesus and uh, helping people see the kingdom, um, you know, throughout the gospels and and throughout the rest of the New Testament. Um, So really excited to learn from you today, Steve, and to dive into uh, not only some scriptures in the gospels, but also to start off uh, with the prophet Isaiah 
um, in Isaiah 52. And so let's start out by reading this passage in Isaiah 52, which is a very well-known verse, but I think will uh, set the tone for today. And so in chapter 52, verse 7, he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. We'll stop there. So Steve, maybe you could help us see what, what is Isaiah getting at in this passage and what are the major things we need to take away from, from this prophecy right here? Okay, well, Isaiah was a prophet who talked quite a bit about the kingdom and especially about the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah. Um, he prophesied during a time in which the Northern Kingdom had fallen and there was quite a concern that the Southern Kingdom and especially Jerusalem was going to fall. And uh, people wondered at that point, well, what would happen with the kingdom of God if, if that occurred? Hmm. Uh, because they associated Jerusalem with the kingdom of God. And I might add, rightly so, because um, the kingdom in that day and time was considered a more physical kingdom with a physical king mm. and a physical military and a physical government. And so their concern was, well, if uh, Jerusalem is, is sacked and goes the way of the northern kingdom, um, then what's going to happen with the kingdom of God? Mm. And Isaiah was basically trying to let people know that uh, God is in control. Um, so you, you can trust in chariots, you know, and you can trust in uh, your king and you can trust in your armor and your sword um, and in your horses, but you're trusting in the wrong thing if you do that, because mm -hmm. you need to trust in God. And if we are a kingdom the way that God wants us to be a kingdom, then everything's going to be okay. But if not, um, then God will um, change things. And uh, ultimately, right. that is what happened. And ultimately, in the book of Isaiah, you do see that, especially the transition in the, the second half and, and then um, the third part of Isaiah, sometimes it's called Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 3. Um, but here he's, he's um, just giving a, a song about how, um, um, and it is poetry here, it's poetry where um, God is king, um, who brings good news and announces salvation, who says to Zion, Zion is the hill of Zion, upon which, upon which the city of Jerusalem was built, mm -hmm. um, your God reigns. Um, and he, then he says, listen, and if, if you do listen, then your sentinels lift up their voices together, they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion, um, to Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's trying to uh, get the people to trust in God. He even says, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Um, and that's, that's the gist of it, um, which shows us that even though in the Old Testament, there was the idea that the kingdom 
was a physical kingdom with King David uh, being the greatest of the kings, but then the kings of the, of the south being a, a mixed bag, but you did have some good kings there like Josiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, they were still supposed to look at God as the king of kings. Mm-hmm. So yes, they had an earthly king. They asked for one. God gave them one. But above and beyond that, they should still be looking for God to be their king. And as long as they did that, then God would bless them. And in the Old Testament, you do have this cycle of blessing and cursing. It's called woe and will in the hmm. theological language. But the, um, the woe was when you didn't trust God and you would get the curses of God. The wheel is the blessing. Uh, it's W-E-A-L. Um, and that is what you were supposed to do. Trust God and watch him bless you. Uh, so Isaiah um, talks about this quite a bit in the 66 chapters. It's a very long <laughs> book. Um, but I think most of us are familiar with uh, Isaiah 53 and the mm-hmm. um, messianic promise there. And, but he, he brings up Messiah time and time again, because when you're reading Isaiah, you're not reading just the chrono- a chronological account from point A to point B, but you're reading, I would call it like a lot of leaflets just stacked together from different mm, times interesting. in the prophecy of Isaiah. And you have, to ha- you have to actually sort them out. And so sometimes he's writing to um, or talking to the king of Jerusalem saying, hey, you know, trust in God. It's going to be all right. At other times he's saying, well, you're not trusting in God. So there's another Messiah that's going to come. And another time, the later books, he's actually writing because Jerusalem has been sacked or some would say because prophetically it's going to be sacked. And what's going to happen after that? That's from 41 through 66, the second part of Isaiah. So it's still a good teaching for us today, reading Isaiah, because Isaiah reminds us that no matter what is going on in our lives, we have to first and foremost trust that God is our king. Mm. Jesus is our king. And we look, if we look to anything else to be in control of our life or to be Lord of our life, um, we are on the wrong track. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. And and this kind of leads into what would be my next question, which is maybe you could help us better put ourselves in the shoes of these Jews when, you know, when Jesus came on the scene and just kind of what was uh, for the Jews, their idea of this kingdom, um, you know, when they would read scriptures like this, what was their idea of this, this kingdom and this king or this, um, you know, anointed one that would come? Yeah. Well, it's a difficult question to answer uh, in this way. There were many different ideas about what the Messiah would look like Hmm. and what the kingdom of the Messiah would look like. Just like today, um, if you were to go, well, let me just start with here in where we live in, sure. in the U.S., I'm sure people around the globe are listening to this, but where we live, uh, and you talk about Christians, well, you've got Christians that are super conservative Christians and um, trying to live out the life, mm-hmm. and some that are legalistic in doing that, thinking nobody else is a Christian but them, um, and then you have uh, liberally oriented Christians that um, 
look at the Bible in a different way and think that, well, it's just almost like it's um, just another good teaching. Uh, and then you have uh, nominal Christians that rarely go to church. And you would have that in the, in the first century. You have that in Palestine or Israel today. You mm-hmm. know, I lived there. And, you know, I saw the Hasidic Jews, the Hasidim, who um, are in this traditional garb and consider themselves as the people of God, um, living primarily in Jerusalem. And um, then you have the Reformed Jews and um, you have um, also a number of Jewish people that are just secular Jews. Hmm. Um, And you have Zionists that are very uh, pro-Israel in a a Zionistic way. Um, And then you have others that are, they're secular Jews, but they want to, they want peace. They want to have peace um, with their neighbors. And so... Um, it's a very mixed bag if you go where to go to Israel today. <clears throat> and in that day and time, it's the same. I would imagine that most shop owners in first century Jerusalem probably didn't think very much about the coming of the kingdom at all. Mm. They probably spent most of the day trying to figure out how they were going to make enough money to pay for their family to eat. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. And then you also had the um, conservative, well, you, you know, the, there are different sects. You have the um, Sadducees that looked at the kingdom in one way. You had the Pharisees that looked at the kingdom in another way. You had down in Quran, uh, south of Jerusalem, um, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, the whole Qumran sect. And they looked mm. at um, the, cam- the coming of the, they actually felt like they had the kingdom themselves. Hmm. And they felt like that what was happening in the temple was wrong. So they were the only Jews that were right. And they there were about 100, maybe 200 people in number. Wow. So a very small group of people. Um, and so it's a mixed bag. But I'll just say this. In general, what people were hoping for, both the person who's the shop owner, as well as the Sadducees, as the Pharisees, probably everyone except Qumran, because they thought that, um, well, they thought, even thought this in a way. They were hoping that a king would come back to the land like King David, unite the whole land with a military force, mm-hmm. kick the occupying nation out of the land because the nation was occupied mm-hmm. by the Romans. Right. And... Uh, establish a new physical kingdom with a physical king with military might Mm -hmm. so that um, Jerusalem, Judea, and Israel would once again be the mightiest power in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And so much of the messianic thinking was heading toward that. And you can see that if you happen to read the Apocrypha, then you read, especially first and second and third and fourth Maccabees, and you see the story of the lives of the Maccabeans and the mm-hmm. Maccabean um, rulers and the Maccabean uprising, um, because they were trying to overthrow the Romans and, and had some success at it mm. um, in order to bring about a um, 
a kingdom where the, the Jews would rule the Jews again, and they would have control of their land. Mm. Um, but that kept getting squashed, and it got squashed a number of times until finally the Romans just got really tired of it. And in uh, AD 70 uh, through 73, just marched into the land and destroyed mm-hmm. Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, right. went all the way down to Masada and finally wiped out the little group that was gathered there of zealots on the top of Masada. Um, and so you could, if you're reading that um, intertestamental period or it's also called Second Temple Judaism, right. if you're reading that literature, you get a really good sense of what many of the people were looking for. They wanted a ruler like Judas Maccabeus to come in and to uh, provide a military answer to the Romans and set up a um, physical kingdom. Wow. Wow, that's so helpful. And it also helps to see why Jesus had such an upside-down kingdom, right, compared to exactly what you just just described, what they were expecting. And I think it just knowing that context helps us to read the gospel with some, um, or understanding what, what these words meant when Jesus would talk about the kingdom, but in a way and in a ministry that they weren't really thinking would be, you know, what they wanted or what you're describing as far as this militant force. And, and so I think it's just, um, it's so amazing as we read the gospels that, uh, Jesus goes about advancing his kingdom in, in such a different way. And um, I'd love to look at a scripture here at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. And, yeah. you know, this is uh, right after Jesus comes out of being tempted uh, in, in the desert or in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days. And he, um, you know, he's also the spirit leads him into the, into the wilderness, very similarly, obviously, to what we see with Israel in the, in the wilderness. And then he, uh, he comes out and in Mark chapter one, verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God uh, has come near repent and believe the good news. And so Steve, a couple questions with this. Obviously, this is a big moment in Jesus's ministry. Um, and we'll continue to see this similar message, repent, and, you know, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Um, but maybe you could just help answer the question, which is what, what is the kingdom of God? Or how would you break that down? I know it, it can be hard to break down, but how would you break down what the kingdom of God is? Well, that is a very difficult question to answer. Uh, in a short, concise way. Mm-hmm. John Bright wrote a whole book entitled The Kingdom of God. It's an excellent book. Um, mm. been out a number of years, so it's a little dated, but very um, wide in its scope. Um, and so I recommend people to read that, John Bright, The Kingdom of God. But, and, and, you know, when you have to, uh, when it takes a whole book to explain a short sure. phrase, um, right. then you know you're dealing with something that's really big. Mm-hmm. And, this phrase, which in the Greek is the kingdom of God, is one of those kind of phrases that, mm. well, how do, you, how do you narrow it? Well, it's difficult. Um, the, way I, the way I usually think of it is 
And sometimes I just substitute this when I read that in the text. If I see I say the rule and reign of God. Mm. Um, rule, God being ruler over the earth. Reign, like the kingdom or a king reigning over the earth. And so I think of the rule and reign of God. Mm-hmm. But even with that, it, it takes on different dimensions based on the context in which it is in. Because the kingdom of God uh, really transcends time. It transcends geography. It transcends history in the sense that God always has been ruling and reigning over everything. Mm. So in a sense, everything is encompassed in that. But the way I like to put it, and I, I, I um, have a section on this in my book on Matthew, is I, I like to think of there being times where there's this giant kingdom of God that oversees all of humanity and all of time and all of history. But every now and then it dips down into our time and Mm. into our history in a particular manifestation. Mm. And so the kingdom is manifest in different ways on this earth. It was manifest in the age of um, Adam and Eve. It was manifest in the age of Moses with the wow. Ten Commandments. Right. It was manifest differently in a unique way in the rule of King David and the kings of Israel and Judah, because mm-hmm. there was a physical kingdom set up there. Right. They asked for the king and God gave it to them. And then when you get to Jesus, it's manifest in a different way in the life of Jesus. Because in Jesus, you had the true king living within the true kingdom in while he was on earth. Mm. And some people don't think that. They think, well, the kingdom of God came in Acts chapter 2 with the church. Well, hmm. no. If you read the text properly and you really pay attention to the Gospels, Jesus was king and um, had established the kingdom in his reign on earth. Right. The rule and reign of God was manifest fully in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think that's the best picture of the kingdom. If you're going to look at all these different manifestations that are all a little bit different. The clearest picture that we get of what the kingdom ought to be and how it should be is in the life and ministry of Jesus, which is one of the reasons I love the Gospels so much, especially the synoptic Gospels, especially Mark that you just read from. Um, but I'll move on because that's not the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kingdom also was manifest in the church mm-hmm. and in the ministry of Paul and the apostles differently than in the ministry of Jesus. Mm. But you do have the uh, kingdom being manifest in the church uh, and still being manifest in the church today. And mm. So can, can we be a part of the kingdom of God today? Absolutely we can. Right. And when we embrace the teachings of Jesus and we begin to live them out in our lives and he is the ruler of our life and he reigns over our lives, then absolutely. But that's not all. There's even more. Because when you get to the book of Revelation, mm. you start getting a different picture of the kingdom. In the book of Revelation, with the um, <clears throat> full uh, expression of the kingdom coming to the earth in the uh, theological word is the eschaton, um, the um, rule and reign of Jesus at the end of time, after time uh, ceases on this earth. So the new heaven and the earth, new earth. They come together, and it's a right. different picture of the kingdom there. Um, and so 
that is how I look at it. I think of it like a giant umbrella, but through this umbrella at times, there are beams that come down on into our realm. And um, that's the kingdom of God as manifest during that particular period of time. Mm. Um, but all of them are part of the bigger picture of God ruling and him um, reigning over the earth from time beginning to time ending from, I mean, throughout eternity. Right. Right. Wow. And, and so it sounds like boiling it down, you know, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in, in the lives of his people, no matter what time frame it's in or, or, you know, if it's today or what we read in the old Testament, but it's God reigning here and now, but also realizing that even for people who don't decide to make Jesus their King, he's still King. He's still the, the one in control. Yeah. Gotcha. That's right. So this is really great. So when we see this coupled with, you know, I, I would say it's clear Jesus is saying that the, the good news or, you know, the euangelion, the gospel is this good news of the kingdom. And so, you know, if someone came to you and, or any Christian, I guess, and just said, hey, why is this such good news? Or why is the kingdom of God such good news? You know, it seems like, hey, Jesus is really excited about this, going to lay his life down for it. How would you answer that as far as why it's such good news for, for all people? Well, <clears throat> I think when Jesus announced it as being good news, it was a little different than the way most people hear about it as being good news today. Mm. Because Jesus was very specific that he was bringing good news to those who were outcast, to those who were blind and, and lame and deaf. Um, he was going to exercise demons. He, he, was, mm. he was bringing a new um, justice into the world. Right. Um, and I think many people, when they hear and think about the good news of Jesus today, they don't think about justice at all. Mm. They think about personal and individual salvation. Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, that's a mistake to think of it just in those terms, because uh, how can we be personally justified and have individual salvation without thinking about the people that live around us? Mm. That's not the ministry of Jesus. Right. Um, right. So when you think about the kingdom of God and the good news that Jesus brought into the world, he was fighting oppression and he was going to people that were marginalized. And you got to realize in that setting, 90% of the people of the land of um, Judea were, were the poor. There's only about 10% that wow. uh, owned land that were known as the landed gentry that had farms but 90% of the people were poor. And that's primarily the people that Jesus ministered to and where he went. And when he went, he went preaching, teaching, and healing. He did, he did all of those things. Mm. Sometimes the good news today is just simply equated with preaching. Well, to me, that is an improper view of how we ought to look at good news. Mm -hmm. It ought to encompass the preach, also the teaching, maturing people, and the healing. Um, which is justice work, mm -hmm. uh, helping people with wherever they are in life to uh, be able to manage life better. Uh, and so 
the good news that Jesus brought, you'll notice that it was really good news for those who were poor mm-hmm. and for those who were oppressed, because that was his main audience. Um, and we can't lose sight of that. Right. When, as we go out and try to imitate Jesus and carry his good news to the world today, uh, it's, it's bigger and broader and encompasses more than just, you know, I'm getting baptized today mm, in my right. own personal salvation. It's, that's part of it. Absolutely. Um, and I'm grateful that we can uh, have the salvation of God in our lives. Sure. But it's bigger than that. And, and until we start thinking of it as bigger than that, we're going to miss the fullness of the ministry of Jesus. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. And I love how you word it here in your introduction to your translation. Uh, when you say the gospels tell the story of King Jesus entering the world to establish, teach, grow, explain, and bring people into his kingdom. And I just love the way that you said that, right? All those different avenues that all of them were about bringing people into his kingdom. Um, And I think that just helps my thought process. And, you know, it also makes me think about how when we give people an incomplete view of the good news and let's say they don't receive it well, it it almost kind of makes sense that there's this bigger picture that from what we're talking about now is honestly more exciting that the rule and reign of God is, like you said, coming into our time that he's working through sinners like us to to change lives, to change uh, society, to change the lives of um, the outcasts. And, and so I know for me, I've had times where I, in a Bible study, have felt like I've um, only kind of started to scratch the surface of, you know, what that means, the good news. And I think that I appreciate what you're saying, because um, I think that it is easy, especially in our Western culture, to, um, in a way, water down good news to there's forgiveness of sins, which is amazing news. Um, but then it's kind of like, okay, my sin's forgiven now. So what's next? You know, what, what's the Christian yeah. life going to look like? And so that, that's really good insight, really helpful. And I think in my just personal Bible study, what I thought was really interesting is how when Jesus sends out the 12 and then sends out the 72, that it's the very clear message again of proclaim the good news of the kingdom and heal people, you know, everywhere. And, um, and so I, I'd like to look at that. We can talk about this verse in Luke chapter nine, um, okay. you know, which is a big moment. I mean, he's prayed all night, you know, about choosing who these 12 are going to be. And, and even after praying all night, he still chooses Judas, which I think is amazing, you know, and, um, but he says here in uh, verse one, Uh, It says, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so, you know, those, though these instructions are specifically for the 12, what do we as followers of Jesus today need to take from this? Or how should this scripture affects our lives when we see this moment? I think that what Jesus is talking about there is he's talking about 
kingdom work. Um, he's talking about preaching, and that word preach is keruxo, so it means to proclaim as the herald of the king. Mm. You know, a herald is the one that um, the king sends in front of him and blows the trumpet and says, hear ye, hear ye, the king pronounces, and he gives the king's pronouncement. And in this case, the herald of the king talks about the kingdom. Um, That's what he's pronouncing. But also the herald of the king in making that pronouncement is doing some kingdom work, which you notice is about helping people, about healing people, about meeting people where they are. Um, It's kingdom work. It's justice work. And so how do we embrace that in our lives today? I think that what we have to understand as we reach out to people and teach people and talk to people is that we're trying to help them in every aspect of their life. So Mm -hmm. it's not just a matter of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to teach what sin is and I'm going to expect a person to repent of these specific sins in their lives. And then after they repent, they'll make Jesus Lord and they'll be baptized well, what about the wholeness of their life? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you work with students. What about the student who has a very dysfunctional home mm-hmm. and is just trying to cope because their home is so dysfunctional? Are we thinking about that? Are we helping the person there? Um, what about the student who is failing two of their five classes mm-hmm. because they're trying to work two jobs and now they're trying to be a disciple of Jesus at the same time. And um, they just are finding it difficult to stay on top of the workload. Um, how do we help them and wh- what do we do there? What do we do with the person that um, was baptized you know, five years ago, but still hasn't shown any maturity in their life mm. spiritually? They're just not able to stand on their own two feet spiritually and make solid decisions. So it's, I'm, I'm talking about a more holistic approach right. to mm-hmm. the way that we approach people. And that this idea of sharing good news has to be more holistic um, in helping people with where they are, wherever they are in life, um, mm. to be able to... Um, get to the point or the goal is sometimes people think, well, the goal is heaven. And so, you know, we help people deal with sin. They repent of their sins. They're baptized. They've got their ticket punched to heaven and let's move on to the next person. But that's, (laughs) that's not really the goal. Hmm. The goal is to help people become like Jesus, right? Which is much different Hmm. and much harder work. Yes. Um, And so, the short term, we might think, well, the more people we baptize, then the more the church is going to grow. But actually, it's the more disciples that you make, mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. the church is going to grow. If a person, mm-hmm. if you're just baptizing a person and they're not really becoming a true disciple of Jesus, they're not going to do well. They're probably going to leave and you haven't really added anything. Mm-hmm. But if you help a person become like Jesus, which is what the word Christian means, like Jesus, Mm -hmm. like Christ, if you help a person do that, um, then they're going to be productive in kingdom work as well. Right. And then you can really experience 
growth, exponential growth mm-hmm. in the ministry by doing that. And so some of this falls under the category of spirituality and spiritual formation that I really like, mm-hmm. um, which is helping people to become a more spiritual person and embrace the good news in that way. Mm-hmm. So that um, there's a big difference between um, a church member, you know, that just kind of comes and checks in that they're there at the services, maybe not at all the services, but versus a person that is maturing in spirituality, mm-hmm. becoming more like Jesus and the Holy spirit is more evident in their life day by day. And that is what Jesus was trying to do with people and the early church as well. That's what we see. I think obviously time, uh, as we see, you know, the life of a Christian over time, convictions can be exposed, whether they're there or not. And just how important it is that as we're doing ministry, that we're really focusing on doing the ministry of Jesus, which is serving the whole person, which I think is what you're getting at, is we're really serving this this human being and looking at how they can, how we can help them in their own life but then how we can help them turn around and serve the people, you know, in their sphere of influence. And I, I think what's exciting about it is then you think about, like you said, kind of the multiplication effect that comes from that. And I think we see, you know, in the gospels is that, wow, these, these devoted followers, obviously they weren't perfect. Obviously they made mistakes, but their commitment um, changed. I mean, we're still talking about them today, th- you know, thousands of years later, uh, but because it was, there was such a focus on Jesus serving the whole person and not just getting a conversion, not just getting, you know, more members or more people to a, a service, you know, which I think can be, as we live in a time of, I would say, kind of consumerism Christianity, um, where that, especially for me as a young person, I think that's, that's what I am hit with a lot, uh, you know, with things I see on social media and and so with that, Steve, maybe you could speak to just kind of the danger of someone trying to live the Christian life without really having, without really being converted to Jesus and, and that ministry of the good news of the kingdom. Like what, what's the danger of trying to do the what's or do the actions, but not having that conviction which Jesus had, which is to really help people make him king and and bring the kingdom of God, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because you haven't really embraced Jesus. And the empathy and compassion comes from knowing Jesus. Um, And so you might be a good soldier in the army, but you won't be like Jesus. And that's going to eventually ring hollow. And then I think the second thing is, is that there's, there's a very real... It's just there's there is a there's a real possibility that it'll be short term instead of long term because you don't have the conviction mm. and the only way to stick it out long term is that you are so in love with Jesus and you appreciate him so much you just want to be like him right. you want to read about him you want to know about him. You want to think like him. You've got yeah, also the Holy Spirit. you got the Holy Spirit in your life. You sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, which we don't talk about enough. We just need to talk about more. 
but you're walking in the spirit, you're thinking in the spirit. Um, and those things drive you. And those things are just mm-hmm. real conviction. You've got the Bible living in your heart. You know verses of the Bible. Verses of the Bible come to your mind. When you face problems, you're just like, oh, yeah, here's a verse for that, you know, and it just pops in. Um, and those are the things that drive your conviction. And if you don't have that, then at some point your conviction's going to wane. And so it's much like the parable of the soils, you know, when the cares of life come on, right. then you're going to get choked out um, because you don't have that depth of solid um, soil that, and that good foundation. Um, in that case, it is the word of God, but it can be, I mean, that's only one aspect of it. It can also be Jesus. It can also be his spirit. It can also be the fellowship. It can also be your prayer life. Um, there's a lot of things that go into making a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have those things, that there's a real possibility of not um, not sticking it out uh, because hard times are going to come. You got to you got to build in the right way, mm-hmm. or you're not going to have longevity. Well said. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And I do think that's so huge. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you're listening right now and you're trying to figure out, man, what is this going to look like in my life? I think definitely spend some time in prayer and, and some time in the word, um, asking God to bring you clarity in ways that you can um, serve him, but also bring his kingdom like Jesus did and assessing what the needs are in your church community, assessing the needs in, uh, in, in your community in general. Um, but I hope that this podcast, this first episode, uh, helped you to really understand um, what the kingdom of God is all about, what that has to do with us today here in, in 2021, um, and that it's getting you excited for really this journey that we're going on with this podcast. Uh, there's so much to learn. There's so much to talk about with this topic, but um, really want to encourage you to stick with us on this journey next week. Uh, we have Michael Burns um, talking about kingdom identity uh, and talking about how we can get our truest form of identity as people and being a people of God. Um, and so really excited about that. But Steve, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Um, obviously, thank you for um, just all the study that you've done and, and how you've shared <laughs> your your wealth of knowledge over the years. But more importantly, thank you just for your life, bro, and your example, and um, and that this is clearly something that you you read so that you can walk the walk and, and help other people do the same. Um, and so thank you so much for, for coming on today and um, just helping us better understand the word and, and how we can live it out. So really appreciate you, bro. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, your invitation to be on your podcast. It's um, an honor to be the first one on the podcast, the first interviewee. And uh, I love the title and I love the focus. And also, I really appreciate your heart and just wanting to help people understand this whole concept of the kingdom. It's a big concept, um, but we need to understand it as much as we can because we live in it every day. And so thank you for uh, providing this for people. Amen. Well, thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next week on the Kingdom Heart podcast.